Hey, 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 Closet Busters, come on and gather around. It's time once again to kick down those closet doors of life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, bold move expert and coming out coach, and I'm going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on, grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step in to living your truth as we explore more stories, tips, and tricks for living your life uncloseted. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 closet dwellers and bold move makers, it's time once again for, you know what it is, life uncloseted. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, and you know, sometimes you just got to save yourself. And in honor of National Coming Out Day, um, I felt, I always felt very compelled when it comes to October 11th each year, simply because I feel compelled to share either a story or a group of stories about where this all started. Um, It's always about finding someone I can talk about their journey to come out of the closet, about who they were and who they are. And sometimes these stories are really tough and sometimes they're very beautiful. Hopefully they're both of those things because through the toughness is where we find the beauty. And even though these kinds of stories have been told many, many times, I I just feel like there's no better time than on National Coming Out Day to continue to share these stories about things that people believe, that gay can be cured and that sexual abuse is part of the problem and yada, yada, yada. And the truth is, is whether you're coming out of the closet as LGBTQ or you're coming out of the closet to say this relationship isn't working or I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, Everybody has a coming out story and whatever their story is, is their story. And the pieces that are their story are where we all get to learn and grow. And that's why today when Nathan um, reached out to me and said, I think I'd be a good candidate for your show, the universe delivered because I knew I was looking for a national coming out story. And when Nate approached me, and started to share a little bit of his other side of Save story and his blog and his website. I was so ecstatic. And Nate Postlewaite is one of these people who I can tell, even though we've never really talked yet, that he's willing to share and he's willing to come to that place of here's what really happens. His story is one of sexual abuse and addiction and strict religion and some success and some depression and finding his own identity and coming out as gay. And I feel like I just said everything about myself except some of the addiction pieces. I'm so, so blessed to have Nate here with us today to share his story and to honor all of those who come out of the closet, all of those who may be considering coming out of the closet because you can do this, but never let anybody else tell you, you can't be who you are. So I'm just going to say welcome to the show, Nate. I'm so excited and happy to have you here because I know you're getting ready to leave on a worldwide trip and what perfect timing then to bring you in and to share your story. So thanks for joining me here today, man. I appreciate it. What an intro. Thank you. I'm absolutely honored to be here and love your show. Well, thanks, man. So um, again, this is like a perfect match. And I love when the universe delivers this stuff because it came through you finding my website saying, hey, man, I think this is... And sometimes I'm like, well, let's figure that out. But as soon as I read what you wrote, 
I'm like, yep, this is a perfect match. And yes, I need this for the coming out, uh, national coming out day. So, um, so let's just kind of dive right in, man. Um, and talk about, well, let's talk about what you're about to embark on. You are getting ready. You're literally told me just now you're, you're getting ready to fly the coop, right? I, yeah, I currently live in Denver. I've been here for six years and next Saturday I board a plane for split Croatia. And then I'm just going to travel the world for a year. I'm going to live in different countries each month, but then um, set up shop and do the blog and the podcast Monday through Wednesday or Monday through Thursday, and then just go to different countries every weekend and just explore life uh, from completely different eyes that I've, that I've never had mm-hmm. until the last couple of years and just kind of make up for lost time. Great. So let's talk about why you feel like you're making up for lost time. Let's kind of go back a little bit in time. Um, You have just started to really explore this piece of the other side of saved. So when you talk about being saved, what were you saved from? You know, I, I grew up in the, in central Alabama and I grew up in a really strict, um, very chaotic religious home. Mm -hmm. And when, when being saved was presented to me, it was truly to escape hell, to guarantee that you're able to go to heaven. And it's this, um, you know, story that puts a lot of fear in a child and kind of maps out their safety and security to be able to say, in order to blend and fit here, these are your options for safety. Mm-hmm. And so when I look back now as a 40 year old, saved meant um, escape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that escape is so interesting as you were talking through that night. Um, and maybe it's because I talked about this with somebody else um, in the last day or so. But I remember laying, sleeping in the backseat of my parents' car on the way somewhere when I was young. I remember kind of trying to go to sleep and looking out the window. And it was one of those evenings where it was just getting ready to storm, but there was lots of storm clouds, but there was just a little bit of break in the storm clouds. And I saw that break and I remember going, please God, let me go to heaven. Let me please go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell because I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. And this was before, this was before I ever even was exploring my sexuality and the impact that that thought had on me. I was literally, and there was no reason to be having that thought other than this is what I had been raised to believe. And I couldn't have been more than five or six at the time. And I just remember laying there and praying and going, I don't want to. And now that I look back on that, there's some beauty in that because there's a beauty in, okay, I want to be a good person. So how do I learn to be a good person? But then there's something really screwed up about that too, that a six-year-old child should be quivering and scared to death at that, you know, at that point in time. And as you were talking, that's kind of what I started picking up from you is this was scary stuff for us to go through. Extremely. And, and if you think about a five or six year old having to make such weighty decisions where you're saying there's a very specific prayer that you have to pray or you're going to go to hell, here are your options. It's really traumatic. And, and my story, you know, the, the introduction to my blog, explains that I had a fever. I was hallucinating. I was laying on a couch, drenched in sweat. And that's how the gospel was presented to me. I I called out to my mom. I was terrified. And I had a dream that God and the devil were discussing who would take me on for eternity when I died. And that just speaks volumes about the environment that I was in at that time. 
But then just, you know, looking back and thinking, no five or six year old should carry that kind of weight mm-hmm. and, and having to make a decision, something that's so personal and so intricate, yet so um, abruptly dismissed when you should just be able to grow and know that you're loved and cared for and have safety and security. Yet that, that lays a foundation for all of us to say, there's a very specific rule mm-hmm. on where you go after this life. And that's just, it's just scary when you think about it. But when you also think about the weights, and I, I'm a parent, so I get this, the weights that you put on a child, so much of what we become as adults is because of the weights that we got put on us as children. Not only right. is it the religious weight, it's the, well, this is how you're supposed to act if you do this. And this is what you're supposed to be when you grow up. And this is, happiness comes from, you know, having a loving, caring, married relationship. And, you know, this is what it looks like when you're in a healthy state of being. And which, each of those things, in an underlying way, has great messaging, but it's how it gets packaged up and handed to us as children that then dictates so much of where we go and then especially when you start to step into the realm that you and i have stepped into of oh wow i've hidden behind so much of this because i was afraid that if i if i'm gay i'm going to hell or now i have to have some therapy to kind of just add more you know injury to insult of you are going to hell through this conversion piece then it becomes so embedded in who we are that we have to unravel and daily unravel. And even at 55 years old, many years down the road from coming out, there are still moments in the day that I'm like, okay, this is coming from that whole thing of being in the closet and I have to unravel this. And it may have nothing to do with my sexuality, but it's a piece of me that I'm like, wait, this was a message that got sent back to a friend of mine who writes a blog post uh, and a book called uh, Messages from the Playground. And I always think of him and, you know, you with your other side of save, it's like, okay, I have interesting, two interesting things now, the messages from the playground and the other side of save that kind of fall into many things I talk about. So for you, when this started to begin to unravel for you, that you knew that here's this thing that I am, this is what Nate is, and this thing is going to send me to hell. How did you begin to reconcile? Do I talk about this or do I not talk about this? You know, I think the way that homosexuality was presented to me was so extreme. I, I got the very typical response. This would have been in the early mid eighties. Mm-hmm. I got the very typical response that homosexuality meant that there was a mental disability that they typically are abusing children. And there were just, there were details that were given to me. I was probably six or seven at the time where I knew I was different. I knew that my sexuality was shaped differently from my sibling, kids at church, kids at school. I, I, I knew that. I didn't know or understand what gay meant. And so when I was taught what gay was, there was such a um, reaction in me. And I think that we make agreement and we sign off. We co-sign with things very early on and say, I will never be that. I will never be a pedophile. I will never expose that I have a mental disorder. So I will quietly um, hide and get rid of this at some point in my life. And I, I think that that's a great example of desperately hoping that these messages go away and we stop ever associating pedophilia or mental disease with homosexuality, with any type of sexuality. It's just so absurd. But you have to consider what a six-year-old can process and what they can imagine for themselves. And there's 
there's not room at that point to say, well, that's not accurate. You know, I, I believe that sexuality is being, being homosexual is, is healthy and okay. There's, there's no room for that if that's not what you're taught. Right. Right. And I think also there's pieces that, you know, I want to bring in some other perspectives on this too, that this isn't just the stuff about homosexuality. This can be children who were raised with, well, sex is just for procreating. Any other sex is a sex of sin, you know, or, you know, you can only drink for certain reasons. And, you know, then there's drinking is going, you know, is the greatest sin. When we start to really think of all these messages we get given as children, it's kind of fucking amazing that any of us turn out really any better than completely screwed up in all of us in mental institutions because so many messages get sent. And it's like, how am I supposed to be a, a functioning human being when all this stuff is, I know it comes from some form of caring and love, but when you unpack it, is it really, is it really loving to tell a child if you do this, you're going to this scary space called hell and you're going to live with this person called the devil for the all of eternity. It's just almost uncanny that none of us could ever even begin to be normal because those kind of messages just tear everything apart. But as you started to move forward, you started unpacking this. And so in the unpacking, you had to have gone through some very scary places because suddenly you're going to challenge what you've heard. And as you started to do that, what unfolded for you, man? So I would say the first time I attempted to explore um, my sexuality and I I guess you could say come out, I was probably uh, 20, 21 years old and my support system at the time basically surrounded me and said, I hope you're willing to pay the consequences come out. And I really recognize that, gosh, I'm making a huge mistake. I can't do this by myself. I can't pursue this. And and feel really comfortable knowing that I was born this way, or this is who I am, or celebrate this when my support system disappears. Mm-hmm. I also had such tremendous guilt with every sexual encounter that I perceived that guilt as harm that I was doing to my body. Mm-hmm. Every time there was a sexual encounter, and then there was just that um, enormous cloud of shame for a day or two. And then I would tell myself, that was the last time. I'll never do this again. That was horrible. That was sin. That was awful. What that was, was a desperate plea for my body to integrate with my mind and my soul and give myself some freedom. Mm-hmm. And I perceived it at that time as <clears throat> God is so angry with you. And you feel that way because you're destroying your heart that you gave to him as a kid. I mean, it, it it was so deeply ingrained that there was absolutely no options of coming out. That was my first round. Yep. It, I would say it lasted about a month. And then when I recognized that I just did not have a support system and then the shame that I would feel, I interpreted that again to just say, this is conviction. This is God saying, this is so wrong and I'm disgusted with you. You have to change this and change it immediately. So I, I guess you could say went back in the closet, but just kind of changed course to say, I cannot pursue this. I'm just, I'm not able to pursue this like I want. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to venture a guess that as you started to change course, it actually added more stress to your life. Would that be true? Tremendous. Mm-hmm. Tremendous. Uh, at some point in the next year, I'm going to write a piece called When the, Scape- when the Scapegoat Leaves the System. Mm-hmm. 
it's just fascinating to me how I feel very strongly that homosexuality has been the scapegoat of so much of the evangelical community mm-hmm. where it's, there's a comfort level in being able to say, this is what the Bible says. Therefore, this is what I believe. But there's such a hate, such a venomous reaction to homosexuality that you can't help but question, what is it about this particular thing that you're attaching to the Bible or whatever you've heard that brings out such a strong reaction, yet it's mentioned so little? Mm-hmm. What is that? And it's, it's a scapegoat. I, I was a scapegoat. I was in a, in a scenario where there was definitely a lot of scapegoating from very, very early on where I recognized you're, you're part of a system that's saying this is how it works in all of these areas. You mm-hmm. cannot step outside of that. And I didn't for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But in that scapegoating or even gaslighting, so to speak, there's something, and I see this because I've had clients who are from the evangelical world, and then, of course, observing current day, you know, things happening. They never really get to, but why? Why? Why this? There's so many other things that fall into this same realm that you're not supposed to do. If you go down the true biblical routes and all this, and, and these are arguments we've heard over and over again. But I just find it so interesting when I have confronted people and go, so why gay? Why homosexuality? Why are you so vehement about this? Please help me understand. And I don't do it from a confrontation. I I, I will say, can you please help me understand so I can see your point of view? And it doesn't want to even be talked about. And if it is, it comes back from, well, it's just because this is what the Bible says. And this is what, you know, is going to happen. I did kind of finally wrap my head around it to some degree because in my own church, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. What it was is if I don't do everything possible to help save somebody's soul, then I'm not doing what I'm meant to do. And that goes against me and my possibility of getting into heaven. And when I started really understanding that with people, I'm like, okay, I get it. But gosh, are you doing this for all the wrong reasons? If this is like God sitting there with his like, okay, well, let's see. Rick's got this many points. Nate's got this many points. Uh, Oh, look, Nate has more than Rick. So, oh, we got one space left on the little entry form into heaven. I guess Nate wins because he has 99 points and Rick has 98. I don't want to be a part of that kind of system. And I still believe, I still believe there's a powerful being. I still believe there's, we didn't just get here. I mean, my whole value system is based on this isn't just a, we're not just here. There's some reason we were, we're given this experience. But I think it's really interesting that when confronted, a lot of times you can't get anybody to explain why. Has that been what you've discovered? Very much so. Not only not have an actual response, no curiosity about where I'm coming from. And I think that that was so much of the offense when I finally came out, which was just two years ago, when I finally came out. There was no curiosity from people from my past life that I had done conversion therapy with and had been, I had been my mentors and therapists at different times. There was not one ounce of questioning on my part, which I took great offense to. At that point, I had been committed for 20 years to therapy and my Christian faith and quite a bit of extensive therapy with trauma and EMDR. And I felt at a minimum, there would be curiosity of, I didn't see that coming. Tell me more. 
And instead, it was a complete abandonment for many people that just the moment I came out and said, hey, guys, I can't follow this course anymore. It's killing me. The moment I came out, which was so profound and redemptive for every part of my life, yep. they disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I have my own theories about masculinity within the Christian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the threat that I think men feel to know that another man can be extremely affirmed in their masculinity and very much love another man um, is threatening. I, I've, I'll say this, Rick. I've never been confronted or judged by a Christian man who's really comfortable in his own masculinity and sexuality. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that because it's one of the key areas that I do some work in is around men and masculinity. doesn't matter if they're a gay man or a straight man. Mm-hmm. You, you hit the nail on the head. Men who are very comfortable in their own masculinity, nine times out of ten, at least the ones that I've met, never have an issue with somebody who's gay. Absolutely. The ones who are questioning in their own masculinity that have the biggest issue. Absolutely. And they fight it. They fight it in very hateful ways, very evil ways. They don't want to have a conversation. And and it is as if, you know, like we've all heard, oh, the gays are out to change everybody. Well, those who say that are the ones who are most threatened by that they possibly could be changed. When those of us who are gay know I can't change you into liking Dick if you don't like Dick. It ain't going to happen. It's <laughs> what it is, you know? <laughs> and I'm sorry, you gather, I just say things the way I feel it. But it's, it's so funny to me because I always, even though I didn't live it, just like you did, I didn't live it this way, I was always much more fascinated with the man than the woman. And that's everything from sex to relationships. But people get hung up on this thing of, oh, gay, it's the sex. Well, do I get hung up on heterosexuals because it's the sex? No, I don't. Well, first of all, I don't get hung up on heterosexuals except those that are crazy in this realm. But I don't look at a heterosexual and go, oh, so how do you, oh, wow, you do sex that way? Oh, I don't know if I can Mm -hmm. be friends with you. That does, that's not even on the radar for us. And I think this is what's so interesting when you and I and all the rest of us who confronted this, it seems like they go right for the whole sexual thing. They don't get that there's a whole piece of, let's say you're heterosexual, so is it all about sex? I don't think so. You're attracted to a woman right. or you're attracted to a man and you enjoy the company of them and you can see yourself waking up and having a life with that person. It's it's so interesting and so fascinating. And I can hear it when you describe things that this is where the frustration started to show up is wait, you're not even seeing me. You're not hearing what I'm trying to say. And then they don't want to hear it. It's like, okay, you've made the choice. So now I have to separate from you because if I don't, something bad's going to happen to me then, whether that be, you're going to infect me with your gayness or you're going to keep me from getting my, you know, chit in my belt to get to heaven, so to speak. And to me, what I think that they're saying without recognizing it is in order for me to embrace you, I have to embrace some things about myself that I'm not even close to looking at. So no thanks. Mm -hmm. Very well said. They don't want to look at this stuff because if I look at this, I might, I might, oh, I might say I really like you 
And then you might think, oh, I want to, I want to have sex with you. Some of my very best friendships are with straight guys who we can say, man, I love you. I really love you. And I really care about you. And I know they mean it. And there's nothing. Okay. Well, yeah, there's a few of my straight buddies. I'm like, and if you just come over to my side of the fence, man, that would be good. Even better because you're just really great looking. And, you know, but it's not, that's not my intent, you know? And actually the ones that I can joke like that with, they know it's all joke. And they're like, yeah, you couldn't handle me. I'm like, okay, now I know they're totally in touch with who they are because they can go down this path. Um, so yeah. as you started to realize this and people started to walk away from you, how did you maintain, man, I'm just going to be me? Because it's not easy. I know for me, it was like, okay, I've waffled back and forth at times. What kept you going forward? What kept you inspired to go? This is me. This is my life. I'm doing this. When you've been in conversion therapy for 20 years, it, it invites you to be so isolated and disconnected. And I can't, the, the loneliness is just severe. I've always had a very strong friend group. I've always been a very social person. Yet I've always been extremely lonely because you're, you're not known. You're, you're giving people a facade of who you are. So when you've been in that, that world for 20 years and then you come to a place based on your health, your conviction, your own self-awareness and your, your own therapy, mm-hmm. you're able to look and say, if you don't come out, your body's going to break down again like it has prior and you're just checked out for months because of such severe anxiety and PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the thing that kept me going when I came out there was such tremendous peace and compassion internally, externally from so many that it washed over those who walked away. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you the biggest factor that I've seen in relationships that walked away is as soon as those, those people disappeared, it, it left this open spot in my life to establish new relationships. Mm-hmm. The difference between my relationships three, four, five years ago and now is now it's a two-way street and we're mutually interested in one another's lives where several of those relationships then I was performing to attain their love based on their belief system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that was coming, but I think that peace is what, and there wasn't grief with those relationships ending. There was anger. I think because I recognize how could you walk away when I've been extremely committed to your health and well-being, and this is what it looks like for you to be committed to mine. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's again, interesting that you say that because here's Martha Beck. Um, <clears throat> she's a life coach. She actually was part of Oprah's circle for many years. She may still be, but she used to write for Oprah Magazine. And one of the most profound things that, and she happens to be a lesbian, um, one of the most profound things I ever saw her write was if you're pretending to be someone you're not and the person you're having a relationship is pretending to be someone they're not, you guys are having a pretend relationship. And what you just described Mm. was, Nate, you can be my person because you're, you're doing the dog and pony show the way I want the dog and pony show to be. But if you can't do the dog and pony show, then you can't be, well, guess what? that person is just now pretending to be your friend because you can only be my friend. If this is how you show up in the world, you can show up in my world because this fits my box. Now, granted all of us Mm -hmm. humans do this, 
But the power of what you just said about the real relationships showing up and the people making room for people who really wanted to be connected and see you at a deeper level and see who the real mate was. Yes, we get hurt by people who leave, but even when I'm coaching people through this, whether it's about coming out in sexuality or coming out to go, I'm leaving my job and I'm going to go travel the world or whatever, the people who choose to leave, they're choosing to leave a piece of themselves because they don't want to confront it. Mm -hmm. You just happen to be the mirror. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. You getting ready to take off and go travel the world for a year is probably going to cause some people like, oh, I don't know how you could do that. Well, that has nothing to do with how you could do it. You know exactly how you can right. do it. You've decided you're going to do it and you're going to do it. What they're actually saying is, I couldn't do that. And I don't like it that I couldn't do that. Even though they'll say, no, that's not it. Some people probably, yeah, they couldn't do it. There's a school. People are like, I couldn't do it because that's just not my thing. That's different than, I don't know how you could do that. Because there's a piece of themselves that's like, I really want to do that, my little lovelies. I really want to do that. But I don't let, dare let anybody else see that. Because then what's the story somebody will have about me? And this kind of right. goes back to what you were just saying about, especially guys. And I haven't had this happen too often, but when I've seen a man have really, and we can see this in, in several public figures out there, um, but when a guy has an overt reaction to a gay man, it's always, always some piece of them they see in that person. Doesn't have to be about the sexuality. It honestly could be most of the time that guy's got more balls than I do to do what he wants to do and show up in the world the way he wants to show up. Right. That's usually the reflection right there. So what was the right. hardest piece for you? And I know this is kind of like the standard interview question, but I'm going to take it slightly different direction. What was the hardest piece for you when you finally embraced you and realized in order to do that, I got to let go of some stuff. Because people think, oh, it's easy once you realize you're going to be something. But it's not because I know, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust myself. But then oftentimes I see it and I see it in clients. That's when the hard stuff really starts. I'm going to go do this. So what was hard for you when you decided this is really where I'm going? That that is a really great question. And I, I've answered it many times thinking that people don't quite get what I'm saying, but there were two huge factors that were barriers for me that I was really panicked about. One we've talked about. I knew I was going to lose relationships. Yep. I knew that there were people who were invested in me. They wanted me to be the guy who eventually speaks up and says, I conquered homosexuality. God redeemed me. God healed me. Um, I'm fixed. Look at my beautiful wife and her huge fake breast. Like I, right, I just, right. I knew that like those people would, would disappear. The other piece that I don't think that people realize is subconsciously, I knew that if I came out, the amount of grief I was going to feel for fighting the wrong battle for 20 years. That's not to say that a lot of the work that I did to, to uncover sexual abuse and um, a lot of other abuse that took place, it was valuable and I did address a lot, mm -hmm. but the conversion piece was always there. Yep. And it was, it was supposedly the grand finale of when I can celebrate. I am whole. I am loved. I am healthy. I have finally done enough where God is pleased with me. 
and therefore he's going to bring me my wife. Mm. I don't think that people understand that grief of, and, and Rick, it's been tough. I mean, I've, I've had many moments of just recognizing when I see pictures of myself at 23 and 24 years old, there's just a blankness yep. in my face where you recognize like he should have been making mistakes. He should have been getting drunk on the weekend mm-hmm. and totally dehydrated the next day and then laughing about it. And instead I was in conversion therapy multiple times a week trying to undo this thing. And that grief has been very, very real and very dominant in my life, but um, also an avenue and pathway for tremendous peace for me to know that my best days are ahead. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful because we have to go to the hardest place before we can see the greatest place we're going, mm-hmm. as you just described. And to that mm-hmm. point of the relationships that you lose, as hard as that is, it's about the other people. You're losing them simply because they can't, they can't be where you are. And I want to say that again. When you lose a relationship, I don't care if it's about coming out of the closet a friendship over, you know, years that you finally lose for some reason, or you walk away from a divorce or whatever it is, it happens because you can't be where each other needs to be. Uh-huh. It's that simple. And, and sometimes we overcomplicate it. Yes, we can't be there because you're, quote, choosing a lifestyle that means you're going to go to hell. And so if I associate with you, then I might. That is all about them, and they can't be there. And this was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn because I I went through this with my parents over and over again. And I still know where they basically stand, but we're in a much different space. But when I realized they can't be where I want them to be and I can't be where they want me to be. And it's that simple. Now, can we just move on? You may lose people because of that. But if you simplify it to that simplicity, they can't be where I want them to be. I can't be where they want me to be. So let's just go forward. But this grief piece that you brought up, I felt it when you said the words because as much as we tried for, I didn't go through deep conversion therapy. I did counseling with the church pastor and all that sort of stuff. Um, And then I tried to leave the quote heterosexual life and all that. The grief that came from that other than hurting some people that I hurt deeply, making them believe they were in a life with me that was going to be something completely different. But the grief that I went through on top of all that was the grief towards myself for not trusting myself to be myself sooner in life. But when I realized that grief wasn't going to serve me either, that I could go and I could like wallow in that for a good long time, but that would only extend me not being who I want to be most in my life and really enjoying my life. That's when everything makes a shift. And I love that you brought Absolutely. this grief piece up because there's going to be grief that you're going to experience from other people. I think a lot of people kind of anticipate they're going to have some grief with themselves, but then there's going to be these out of left field grief feelings that show up that you don't expect. One of them being, oh God, I wasted so much of my time. Uh, yeah. I didn't give myself enough You know, I didn't give myself enough faith in myself. I didn't trust myself. These are all little bits and pieces of grief. And when we can look at those pieces of grief and go, but I had to learn this and see this. 
so that if possible, I never go back there again. I never go to that grief mm -hmm. place again. Even what you're getting ready mm -hmm. to embark upon, and this is kind of me connecting some dots here in the moment, a lot of your coming out journey is probably what's enabling you to say, I'm selling everything and I'm gonna go travel the world for a year because I don't wanna be in the closet of not getting to see the world. I don't wanna right. be in the closet of living life day in and day out nine to five. It's because you've discovered, which all people do, and people have heard me say this on the podcast numerous times, but I'm gonna say it again because it needs to be said, one coming out journey only leads to many more, mm -hmm. but you gotta do the first one before you discover the power of coming out each and every day of your life. Mm -hmm. So as you get ready to make this move, Nate, and you're getting ready to, you know, be, you'll be somewhere off in the world when this is already airing. What would you like people to take away from you being able to say, here's where I'm going, this is what I'm doing? Because there's a message there that I feel like is part of you learning it for yourself but it also is about you sharing something with the broader world about what it really means to come out and be who you really are. Yeah. I, I would say we just, we live in a culture right now where we're inundated with every buffer imaginable that keeps us so busy that we don't even know what's going on inside of us. There's an agenda being forced on our throat everywhere that we look. And for me, I'm looking at this travel as a time where I'm able to put the pause button in place and say, I want to hear my heart roar. I want to find out what I'm made of and really be able to explore so much of the neglect that I've had in my life for many years. You do not have to quit your job and sell everything and, to, and go travel to get in touch with yourself. But I think anybody can resonate with what do I use to distract myself and what's it stopping me from recognizing? Mm. And I'm just, I'm seeing through this journey that I've been on with sharing my story, the stories that I hear from other people, there's a very common theme and that's hopelessness with how to navigate your own heart. And I just think, man, if we could just silence out so much of the chaos and the bad messages and the pressure of what your life is supposed to look like and how you're supposed to feel yep. and let it be really trendy to get in touch with your soul again. <laughs> how beautiful would that be? How great would that be if we all were impacted by our own souls and that's how we saw the rest of the world. That's how we saw other humans through the lens of compassion and gratitude because we're fully connected with ourselves. That's amazing. It's such a beautiful message because at the heart of every coming out story is what Nate just said. It's about learning to let the silence out. And I love that you use the word trendy to get back in touch with your soul. All That's all it is. And every time someone says, I want to do this or I wish I could do this, my interpretation of that is, I just want to touch my truth. I just want to touch my soul. Mm -hmm. But we don't talk like that. In fact, I was just interviewing another person who does these conscious bedtime storybooks for kids. And one of his is about the hug that couldn't come out. And what he uses to describe the story is these sticky thoughts we have. 
And I thought how beautiful that is, is if we as adults would start to talk in those languages like we used to as children. All we want to do is we want to be free. How many times as a kid did we say, but mom, can't I just? Well, as adults, that's all we're really saying is, can't I just? Which at the bottom is, can't I just be free to do this? And then suddenly we grow up, we come into these constraints as adults, as in beliefs, in religious beliefs, in other beliefs and value systems. And the next thing you know, we have lost true sight of what is important to Nate? What does Nate value? And then we suddenly are afraid to ask that question. But then when we come out of the closet, it's not just about attractiveness to somebody of the same sex. It's not just about the pleasure of getting off in a sexual connotation with someone. It's not just about being with that person that you find compatible. It's about stepping into a space that says, this is what I value. This is what I hold true for me. And can't I just be that? Plain and simple. So Nate, I just want to say that this has been the perfect National Coming Out Day conversation. I couldn't have asked for a better conversation. Um, Tell us again your website and everything, because I want to make sure everybody, as he's traveling the world, it'll be a couple of months into this when this airs, but I want you to go look at his website. I want you to follow, because I have a feeling just by what you've heard today, there's going to be some huge awakenings and things that, Nate, you discover for yourself by being free to go do this. So um, what's the website again? Thanks so much, Rick. It's uh, the other side of save.com. That's my uh, Instagram and Facebook handles as well. Okay. That's awesome, man. And if you could do something on this world trip that would a year from now or two, who knows, <laughs> this could start as a year long trip and who knows where this will take you. But if you could say, this is what I want to have happen with this, taking this time for myself and going and exploring, what would you like to say the intention would be for the next year for you? To lay a foundation for myself that I can stand on until my feet leave this earth, but a foundation that gives me the avenues to speak on behalf of other people who have walked through unnecessary pain, to be that voice that starts to change people's minds on how we love. Mm. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, brother, safe travels. Thank you so much for giving of yourself and making this an absolutely wonderful, beautiful National Coming Out Day podcast. I really appreciate your time, and I'm fully behind you on everything you're doing. Can't wait to follow you all over the globe as you go on this trip. So thanks so much for being here today, man. I'm honored, Rick. Thanks so much. All right, there you have it. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, but that's okay. We're going to be back in just a couple of days sharing more stories, tips, tricks, and wisdom for helping you live your life uncloseted. And you know what? You can share it too. Just take a few moments if you like and if you believe in this podcast and share it with someone you know today. Share it from your phone, go share it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you are. Maybe even give us a rating review because you know what? It's all about the planet living their life uncloseted. I'm Rick Clemens, host of the show and the guy who helps you make those big, bold moves. And I hope you never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. Catch you real soon. Take care, everyone.